Uh, so it's my privilege this morning to continue going through Genesis with you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. Genesis 22, 1 through 19. If you want to turn there, your paper copy of God's Word or um, your lightsaber copy of God's Word on your phone. Usually I like to read through the whole text and then say this is um, the word of the Lord and you say thanks be to God. But this story is filled with drama. So we're gonna just walk slowly through it and I want to read one verse. We could actually pull that verse up on the screen. Um, And then I'm gonna pray for our time together. Hear the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, King, you tell us in James 1 to consider it great joy whenever we experience various trials. Because we should know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Lord, this is a hard word for us. So would you help us to be joyful in trial? Help us know that you test us not to flunk us, and shame us, but to produce endurance and mature joy in us. And I pray that you'd use this word, this sermon, toward that purpose. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Um, We all, as, as members or visitors of this church, have our individual lives, but we also share a family life together. And like each family, we go through seasons. And as a church at River of Grace, we're in a season of suffering and trial. If you keep up with church news, um, you you know about a good amount of these trials represented by the meal trains that are going around and the prayer requests. Side note, I'm just so encouraged how this church has stepped up and wept with those who've wept, suffered with those who are suffering, given meals, given gifts. It's just a beautiful thing. So keep that good work up. But we're, we're in a season of suffering and That's just what you see in the weekly update or hear from the prayers. As one of the pastors here, I get to see even more suffering that I know is going on in your lives. And then there's some of us here who are suffering silently. Maybe you haven't opened up to share with the church or one of the pastors what you're going through. But we are in a season of suffering. And as we suffer, the questions begin to mount. We, we start to ask questions like, where is God in this circumstance? Maybe we even start to think, uh, is God being cruel to me in this suffering? After wave, of wa- after wave of suffering comes my way. Well, the story of Abraham today offering up Isaac gives us some help here. Now, it's not going to answer all of your questions in your particular situation. Only God knows all things. But it does give us a strong foundation, a support, as the waves of suffering crash over us. The heartbeat, the message of Genesis 22 is trust God's character when circumstances test you. ROG, trust God's character when your circumstances test you. And as we walk with Abraham and Isaac through this beautiful, heart-wrenching, and glorious story, we're going to see Abraham's faith tested, then his faith strengthened, and finally, Abraham's faith is going to be vindicated. So look at verse 1 with me. This is Abraham's faith tested. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Our story begins with these words, after these things. This is towards the end of Abraham's life. He's gone through many valleys and peaks. And now, you know, he's sitting back on the rocking chair, watching his teenage Isaac run around, grow stronger, grow in wisdom every day. Maybe he thinks he's going to coast the rest of his life and enjoy the fruits of his faith. But after these things, God tells him again to go. I think as we read Abraham's story, we should see that the beginning of his journey and the end of his journey is all faith. Those two words appear at the beginning of Abraham's life. Go, Abraham. Leave your father's land. Leave everything that's comfortable and follow me into a place you don't know yet. And here, toward the end of Abraham's life, God once again is saying, Abraham, go. Take your son up to Mount Moriah. And if you think about Abraham's life, God continues ramping up the tests. He ramps up the difficulty. First test, trust me, Abraham, leave your father's land. Second test, trust me, Abraham, to give your barren old wife a son. Third test, protect Sarah from these kings who are trying to make advances on her. By the way, he failed that test. Then, most recently, this heartbreaking test. Abraham, send your son Ishmael, Ishmael that you had with the slave woman away. That broke Abraham's heart. And after all these things, God gives Abraham, in his old age, the hardest test of all. If Abraham was heartbroken at losing Ishmael, how much more heartbroken was he at having to sacrifice his son? And the passage just lays on um, the hardship of this test. It says, Abraham, offer up your son, your only son, your only beloved son, Isaac, laughter. Offer him up in a burnt offering. Now you might be thinking he had two sons, but remember, Abraham sent Ishmael away, and he put all of his eggs in one basket. He put all of his hope in the promised son Isaac for God to give him a huge family through Isaac. Now, the passage is silent on what Abraham was thinking, and I think it's kind of inviting us in to imagine what Abraham must have been thinking when God, after fulfilling the promise, tells him to sacrifice his son. Maybe Abraham was thinking things like this. Is Yahweh just like the pagan gods? I know my dad's God often asks us to sacrifice our sons, but I thought Yahweh, I thought my God was different. I thought he was good and just and gracious. Maybe he had thoughts just wondering where God was taking him and if God would actually fulfill his promise to him or if God was just playing with him. Well, this passage doesn't say what he thought, but we can imagine ourselves in his place. And he's silent, is suffering silently as he thinks through these things. 
Well, this passage really helps us interpret or even reinterpret our suffering. Trials are actually tests. If you are a follower of Jesus, every form of suffering, big, small, in the middle, is a test from from a loving God. Now, we have this narrator's note. This is Moses writing this, remember? Many years later, saying, this was a test from God. But Abraham didn't know that. This was just a really, really, really hard and even brutal command from God. He didn't have the privilege of hearing a narrator. Maybe I I hear like Morgan Freeman's voice like, this is a test from God. Wouldn't that have helped Abraham maybe face it? Wouldn't that help us? I, I, I I think it would help us a bit if, you know, when we woke up, we had a narrator's voice say, today you're gonna get a phone call and it's gonna be the worst phone call of your life, but it's a test from a loving father. Okay, it wouldn't take away all the pain, but at least you would know You would be confident. Okay, this is coming from God. This is a test. This is good. Well, we do have a narrator over our lives, and it's the scriptures. The word of God helps us interpret our lives. And as we look at Abraham's life and see this command that was brutal, that was hard, this this was actually a test from a loving father. And so, too, with us, as we go through collectively and individually some unimaginable suffering. We know God is testing us. But why is God testing Abraham? Why is God testing you? And why does it seem like in life the tests just get harder and harder and harder? Why does this happen? One reason, and this is just one reason, is that God is after strengthening our faith. So let's turn to verses three through 10 and let's see Abraham's faith strengthened. Look at verse three. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, those are his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. So Abraham obeys God's command to go, just like he did in the beginning. And we see Abraham's faith is growing strong. Over the decades, he's probably been following God for about 40, 45 years now. Over the decades, he's had victories and losses past and failed tests. And here, his faith reaches a new strength. Abraham here, he's embodying that proverb, trust in God with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Abraham is trusting God with all of his heart and not leaning on his own understanding. He trusts God's character, even when his circumstances are saying, do not obey. And his faith reaches a strong point after walking with God for 40 years. If you notice in verse three, he tells his servants, he says, okay, we've been traveling for three days. Me and the boy Isaac are gonna go up this mountain. We're gonna offer a sacrifice and we'll come back to you. He doesn't just say, I'll come back to you because my boy's gonna be dead on the mountain. He says, we will come back to you. What's going on here? Abraham wasn't planning on bailing. He was gonna go through with it 
as we'll see in a second. He's gonna sacrifice his son Isaac, but he does plan on believing all the way through. And Hebrews actually helps us interpret what was going on here. Hebrews eleven seventeen says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. So he's holding these things in tension. He was promised a son and many kids, and yet he's going to offer up his son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Abraham considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Abraham actually believed God is so faithful to his promise, even if I put my son to death as a burnt offering, God will resurrect my boy. And he tells his servants, we will come back to you together. Where did Abraham get this faith? Where did he get this idea? Well, first, he had experienced God's life-giving grace as a pagan, without hope, without God. Then he saw God put life in a barren, empty womb. He saw God perform the miracle of speaking life into his old wife's womb when she was far beyond childbearing age. And so with that faith, Abraham says, I've seen too much. I've seen God's goodness, and I've seen him come through time and time again. So if I follow him, I know he's going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to resurrect Isaac. Abraham's faith is super strong. And I wonder if you, like me, as I was preparing this, hearing this, um, you're discouraged by the weakness of your faith. This is, this is kind of the pinnacle of faith that we have given from the saints in the Old Testament. And maybe we feel like, in any trial or test that comes my way, immediately I think, oh, God's forsaken me. I'm not going to obey. He's not going to come through. Well, we could pull up this, this picture of weights here. I wonder if you've ever heard of progressive resistance training. Progressive resistance training. Maybe if you're an occupational therapist, I think we have one at our church, or a physical therapist, you're familiar with this. Well, in my senior year of high school, I played basketball, and I tore my ACL, and my right leg was out of commission for about nine months. And when I went to my physical therapist, my right leg, or my left leg was big and my right leg was tiny. It was atrophied. It was su- super weak. I would trip up on it. And so I went to the physical therapist and they took me through progressive resistance training. You might see a set of dumbbells like this at your gym or home gym. And they started me on the baby weights. And that is humbling. You know, the 2.5 pounders and you're like, <laughs> trying to lift your right leg, and you're slowly getting stronger, and they're raising the weight. But over time, my right leg got strong again. Well, God, through his testing of Abraham, and we see this in Abraham's life, is after progressive resistance training for your faith, for your soul. As my old pastor was fond of saying, he, he, when I was in seminary, and I felt totally overwhelmed all the time, he would say, Elliot, God is broadening your shoulders. God is broadening your shoulders. He's teaching you how to carry more. He's teaching you how to have faith in God and grow your faith. And so that is what God has done in Abraham's life. That is what God is doing in your life through progressive resistance, through hard test after hard test after harder test. He is strengthening your faith in him. One of my favorite theologians, he's an old uh, English Puritan dude, John Owen, 
he distinguishes between Satan tempting us and God testing us. And he asks this question, why would God test us? And he gives us two reasons, which I think are lovely. He said, God tests us to show us what's inside of us. First reason. Second, God tests us to show us what's inside of him. So when we're tested by God, it could be really humbling. When God shows us what's inside of us, if our faith is extremely weak and he's starting us on the 2.5 pounders, it is really humbling. But God doesn't just show us what's inside of us to shame us, to say, you're weak, you're a loser, I'm leaving you. God shows us what's inside of us to show us what's inside of him. He's full of power, he's full of grace, he's full of sympathy, and he's here, ready to help to strengthen our faith. Uh, this past week, I started a new job in Peterborough where I'm a PE teacher for K through five and I'm thinking already, by November 6th, you know, that's my quarterly review, parent-teacher time, and I have to take, like, these 200 students through physical fitness tests. And when I say PE, physical fitness tests, some of you shudder. You think about the mile, you know? It's, you know, it's the worst for some kids. Or you think about the pull-up bar. I don't know why they do that, like, pull-up's so hard, you know? So everyone's struggling, and everyone's looking at you, and it feels like such a shameful thing. So I'm trying to do my research as a PE teacher and saying, well, I got to do these tests. We got to gauge progress. But how do we do it in a way that shows them where they're at, but not shaming them? And as I learned from other you know, PE teachers, thank God for YouTube. Um, I wouldn't know what I'm doing apart from it. But as I learned from other teachers, one thing that I noticed is the best PE teachers are right there with the kids and encouraging them. Truthful, honest, giving them feedback on where the student is, but they're alongside them, cheering them on, saying, don't compare yourself with other students. Let's get better. Let's get stronger. And that's what God does with us. Maybe you've gone through suffering, you're being tested, and you just got exposed. Your faith is weak. You're barely holding on. And God says, I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm going to make your faith stronger. Owen also points this out. He says, Satan tempts us, this is a paraphrase, Satan tempts us to weaken us. God tests, tests us to strengthen us. So don't attribute to God what belongs to Satan. God is seeking to test you, maybe to expose weakness, but he's saying, in your weakness, you are strong as you look to Christ. Okay, so with this newfound faith, with this newfound God-given strength, Abraham moves forward in obedience, this faith-fueled obedience. And the passage slows down. This is like 0.5 slow-mo speed. Abraham and Isaac leave behind their servants, and they start making their way up the mountain, father and son. Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Abraham and Isaac alone, father and son, they're bound together by love. Abraham, he's carrying the tools he's going to use, the, the, the fire and the knife, to kill his son as a sacrifice. And Isaac, he's likely a teenager at this point, he's carrying the wood on his back up Mount Moriah. Abraham's deep in thought, his head is swirling, and he hears the voice of his son say, Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, 
my father? Abraham replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Hear those words of intimacy, of knowledge, of love. My father, my son. Isaac starts to look around as they're walking up this hill, and he says, we have everything for a burnt offering. He's probably seen his pops do burnt offerings to Yahweh. We have everything we need for a burnt offering except the most important thing, the lamb. Where is it? And Abraham's answer, answer is like a swirl of desperate wish. It's part prayer, and unbeknownst to him, it's part prophecy. But he says, the Lord will provide a lamb for an offering. And so the two of them keep walking up the hill, father and son in silence. Now Abraham, at this point in his life, he's walked so many miles away from his father's house, everything he ever knew. And he walked into the promise of God, banking on a huge family, a beautiful land for his family and the blessing of God. And now Abraham in his old age is back to walking with God and he's about to put that promise that he made him leave his father's house on the line. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Isaac quietly willingly was bound to this altar of wood. Abraham's head swirling with prayers, searing pain and faith in God lifts up the knife to plunge it into his son. And at this very moment, his faith was vindicated. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, with urgency, stop. Abraham replied, here I am. Then the angel said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Here we go on to the third point and see Abraham's faith is vindicated. The angel of the Lord stops him in his tracks. Abraham is thinking, oh, thank you, God, about time. He puts down the dagger Abraham passed the test. He had proven that he feared God. He had proven that he trusted God with all of his heart, with everything. He would lay it on the line, and he did not lean on his own understanding. And Abraham's faith was met with God's faithfulness. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today, this is Moses writing. So today, it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. God vindicated Abraham's faith. God came through and Abraham's faith was vindicated. God always meets our faith with his faithfulness. And I wonder if we have a moment, for those of you who follow Jesus, at the moment at the end of our lives, if God gives us somewhat of a peaceful death, and we look back over our faith journey with God, I don't think we'll regret one time that we placed our faith in God. He always is faithful. And God recommits to his original promise to Abraham and even sheds more light on the coming Savior 
for his family. Look at verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your own son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their, or some translations say his enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So God doubles down on his covenant with Abraham because of his faith-filled obedience. And here he speaks of an offspring, numerous people, and then he speaks of a singular offspring. One of Abraham's kids is gonna come and bless this cursed world. He's gonna possess the gates of his enemies. And this, if you've been walking through Genesis with us, might bring to mind Genesis 3.15, the mother promise, the promise of a savior. I'm gonna read the message version of Genesis 3.15 because I like it. It says, I'm declaring, this is God speaking to Satan. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will wound your head and you will wound his heel. So how could God, this is the big question of Genesis, especially Genesis 3, how could God bless a cursed world and a cursed people who rejected him? God would give Abraham an offspring who would become a curse so that he could be a blessing to all people. An offspring would come through Abraham's family and he would possess the gates of his enemies. Maybe you remember Jesus' words, the gates of hell shall not prevail. In the opening of the New Testament, it begins like this in Matthew. The son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. The apostles point to Jesus and say, this is the promised son. And this is the gospel according to Genesis 22. Like Isaac, Jesus was the only beloved son. Like Isaac, Jesus walked up a hill of sacrifice, Golgotha. Like Isaac, Jesus carried the wood on his back. Like Isaac, Jesus willingly, silently, trustingly followed the will of his father. But unlike Isaac, Jesus was not spared. Like the ram in the thicket, that's a thorn bush, Jesus wore our curse, the crown of thorns, on his head. Like the ram, Jesus was killed as a substitute for sinners. The gospel opens with this declaration from John the Baptist. He's waiting for the Messiah, the offspring. He says, behold the Lamb of God. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father shouts, this is my beloved Son. At the hill of crucifixion, the crowd shouts, crucify him. And on this hill, or if you will, this mountain outside of Jerusalem, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the only beloved son of God was sacrificed on a cross, the very cross he carried on his back to take away our punishment for sin and to give us the happy, blessed smile of God. If you catch this note in Genesis 22, it says, on the third day, Abraham said, me and my son are gonna come back to you. And if you're familiar with the gospel story, on the third day, father, resurrected son, in power as king of kings. This is the gospel according to Genesis 22, promised and prophesied in these pages. Jesus entrusted himself to God in the most God-forsaken circumstance. 
Jesus trusted his father's character even to and through death. And God met Jesus' faith with resurrection faithfulness. Friends, we can trust the character of God, the God and Father of Jesus, when our circumstances seem God-forsaken. And if you haven't given your life over to the King of Kings, Jesus, this morning, just know that he is the one who offers himself as your substitute, the Lamb of God. For all the evil things you've ever said or did or thought, Jesus offers himself to be laid out on the wood for you in your place. You simply need to trust him. Trust him with your sins. Give them to him. And trust him with your life now and forever. So where do you turn to when your circumstances just crash down on you like some of us have had happen in these past few weeks? Well, if you were an Israelite, you would turn to this story and to this mountain. Genesis twenty-two fourteen says, And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. And today it was said in Moses' day, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Abraham memorialized this mountain by giving it a name, literally meaning the Lord will see to it. He'll take care of it. And the mountain was called the Lord will provide in Moses' day. There's only one other place in the Bible that Moriah is brought up, and that's in 2 Chronicles 3.1. It says this, Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So this very mountain where, God, or where Abraham went to sacrifice and offer up Isaac, this is where the temple of God was built. This is where Israelites from all over would gather for yearly feasts and worship God. This is the center of their faith and worship. And this test became central for all Israel. When the saints came to the temple singing the songs of ascent, they came to the God of Abraham trusting his character no matter how bad their circumstances were at home. Jews, faithful Jews from all over would come to God at his temple with their crushed hopes, their dashed dreams, their broken bodies, their debilitating fears, and they say, I trust you, God, on this mountain you came through for Abraham. Where should you turn, Christian, when your circumstances test you? We can and we should turn to Mount Moriah, but we have a greater mountain to look to, Mount Calvary, where our Savior was crucified. Mount Calvary is the heart of our faith. Jesus is our one sure reason for faith in every circumstance. If God came through for Jesus through crucifixion, through death and resurrected him, you could be sure, Christian, that he will come through for you, even through death, that last test. God will be faithful to bring you through and resurrect you. As we read in uh, Romans 8, this is the logic of the gospel. This is the logic of God's provision. Romans 8.32 says, He, that's God the Father, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? So if God gave you the most precious person, in all the universe, Jesus Christ is a sacrifice for your life, he'll definitely give you all the smaller things, every little thing you need to make it through your suffering. So whether you're facing death, death of a loved one, sickness, loss of property, loss of dreams, whatever your circumstances, 
look to Mount Calvary and say, the Lord will provide. So our OG, let's trust in God's character when our circumstances test us. A test can be humbling. Uh, they take away our self-delusion. I know I have often gone through suffering or tests and just, I've been, I've been ashamed to see that my own faith is so small. You know, when I do these PE tests, some of these kids are going to feel like, oh, I wasn't as good at that sport or that activity as I thought I was. So they expose our weakness. But tests can also be hopeful. When you have a loving father who's alongside you, coaching you, giving you progressive resistance for your soul, and he's going to see to it that your faith, you're his child, is going to be made strong. 